This is a Momentum Media production. Inside Commercial Property with Rethink Investing. Australia's largest and most comprehensive podcast covering all things commercial investing. I've got a head game, Phil Tarrant, uh, co-host of Inside Commercial Property with Rethink Investing, part of the Smart Property Investment Podcast Network, the network where property investors right across this great land internationally as well. Aussie expats uh, looking to still have skin in the Aussie property market, turn to for knowledge, insights, uh, interpretation, views, opinions, analysis of uh, property markets on the Property Investment Podcast Network. We've got a lot of it residential, but there is a big mainstay show. You're tuning into it right now, uh, Inside Commercial Property. I'm the co-host, Phil Tarrant. I'm joined by a gentleman by the name of Scott O'Neill. He's the director at Rethink Investing, the brain's trust of this outfit and operation. Um, but I'm happy to report that I get just as much good feedback as what Scott does. So people think I'm a commercial property guy now. What happened, Scott? Something went wrong. Oh, been doing chatting for what? How many? Two, three years, yeah. nonstop. COVID for the whole COVID experience. Yep. Yeah. You've uh, bought a commercial property. You've owned it. You've uh, dealt with all the due diligence and um, heard many other stories on it. So, yeah, you're uh, no a bit, not enough. Uh, hence the reason why uh, I, I get a lot of help with my property investing and. Uh, the team over at uh, Rethink helped me uh, secure the property, which we spoke about at length on this particular podcast a couple of months ago, and we sort of did two or three, maybe even four sessions on it, sort of not full sessions, but sort of as I was going through that pathway and as myself and Scott sort of, you know, he took stock of what I was trying to achieve and what the brief was, and uh, him and his team went away and sorted out a, uh, a property for me in Perth. And I think one smart reader actually we laid the challenge down and actually come back with the actual address from the few clues that we gave. So that was uh, a world. I think you owe them a lunch or something other by memory. Um, oh, I think I that was what we, what what the uh, the thing was. However, um, that was before all these interest rate hikes and uh, the number the net number looks very different today than what it did at that point in time. Scott, most per- commercial property investors have probably seen this at the moment. Yeah, look, it's very interesting times. Like I actually love this at the moment. Mm. I think. As an investor, these are the moments you are you wait for. Like I saw on the news, twenty percent crashes, resi markets, and um, even the newsreader at the end said, "Terrible time if you're selling, great mm. time if you're an investor." So even the mainstream media is sort of highlighting, you know, it's a good time to buy. So yeah. you don't want to be buying once it's already grown twenty percent and you're late to the party. But that's what the mainstream investors will always do, and they always feel more comfortable getting right at the top, right when the tide's, you know, at its highest point. But, um, you know, it's a moment in time. These interest rates are going to change many times over the next 12 months. They're probably going to go up and they're probably going to come down. So you don't want to just get too fixated on today's interest rate because very, very good chance it's probably not going to be this for long. And, uh, you know, one thing that uh, I'm seeing out there, and I'll I'll read a little comment I saw uh, by an anonymous client. He's saying, still waiting for some commercial deals. I don't see many out there getting better, at least in the major city markets, but it looks like rents are flying upwards. When will be our turn for the discounts? So that highlights what people are seeing out there. There's no Mm. big price falls out there because rents are flying up in commercial. So those who think they're just going to get the best bargain of the century in 12 months' time, I can tell you point blank it's not going to happen because the rents are going to be higher. And unless these interest rates go to 10% and they implode the whole economy, and you're not even going to get a bank loan yourself anyway at that time in 12 months, uh, that great magical unicorn deal, it's not going to be there. So mm-hmm. it's sort of, um, it sort uh, of it goes against what most people think, but 
remember, rent growth is capital growth, so it's a good time. I channel my um, first year university literature course around waiting for Godot. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Um, go, go and Google it, everyone. You'll you'll know what I mean. But essentially, sitting around waiting for for something that never turns up, and we're very much in that cycle right now where uh, the commentary coming out of the the mainstream media would have you believe there's Armageddon coming with, with property prices. They've been saying this, by the way, for the last six months as interest rates have gone up. And to be fair, prices are largely stable. They've come back in some of the capital city markets. We've seen some resi numbers come through over the last couple of days from um, Core Logic, and they're coming back in those those key city capital markets. Not everywhere, but parts of it, but not at the numbers as what the media would have you believe. But there's also other parts of Australia which are growing right now, and I think of some regional locations that you know, they're in rude health. Um, yep. So be careful what you read, careful what you consume in terms of making property investment decisions because to the anonymous commentator there, you mentioned Scott, I don't think there's going to be blood on the streets. Uh, but personally, I think we're towards or at, we're very close to the bottom of this this cycle in terms of resi prices. Um, yep. It's not too much more to come back before it stabilises and we're absolutely in the stabilising market right now just because of the nature of this cycle, and I've been pretty vocal on pretty much saying that this is nobody's market at the moment. There's, there's not a buyer's market or it's not a seller's market. It's just it's a quite a unique market where the balance of power doesn't sit with any particular side of the supply and demand yep. equation because of the stability we have in the market. And that is, you don't have distressed sellers and you have buyers who probably can't get as much money as what they used to get because the interest rates have gone up. So pretty much much no, to do about anything. No, I agree. It's, um, next six months, I think, will be peak fear, period. Mm. You know, Peak fear with the media, peak fear with investors. Because at some point, these interest rate talks are, are going to go the other way. And as soon as it stabilizes even, that's when you're going to see more people go, all right, well, this is the top. I've still got the money, the mm. deposit waiting there. I still need cash flow positive assets. I still don't want my money in the bank forever. So they're going to come back, the ones that are on the sideline, but they're all going to come back at the same time. Yeah. So you want to get in before and- We've had these conversations. I was even listening to one of these inside commercial property podcasts. Well, you're re-listening to yourself, were you? I just That's wanted, a bit sad. I listened to it. It was like, I think it was July or, I don't know, August, yeah. right at the start of COVID. And it just popped up and I, I listened to it on like three times speed because I don't want to listen to the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, we had the same conversation as this. You know, it was COVID. We were talking, and you and I were saying the market's not going to crash for commercial Money, like we we're talking about cheap money back then. That was the mm. common theme. You know, it has to go up because money's too cheap. And uh, the media was saying the exact same things they're saying right now. It's almost like you just got to look back at history and you feel very comfortable. So, so our with commentary was pretty good during that period of time. We've been touch wood, spot on, um, measured and considered. Yeah. The only thing last month, we obviously were talking about the land tax thing that yeah. never went through. So, yeah, yeah. update is uh, Queensland government is not going to be charging double land tax to you. So that's a good thing. Yep. Uh, but yeah, we've been pretty spot on and we're just level heads in amongst a extreme world. And I think that's probably your experience and knowledge capabilities in this space and I guess my appreciation for how to use information. Um, just take it easy, everyone. And And to be fair to your point, people, it's a mindset thing. If people are going to go, is this as bad as it's going to get? It's not that bad. I might as well take action. And you're talking about this six month window now, where you want. If markets are going to move, you want to be in there early. So if you can calibrate that mindset and say, if this is as bad as it's going to get, and it's not too bad for you, if this is bad, it's going to get, and it looks pretty good to you, get stuck in 
Mm. Pretty simple, you know, but it all comes down to your own situation, circumstance and all that sort of stuff. That's by way of a disclaimer. But um, uh, very popular, Scott, the last podcast we did, uh, we've had a lot of feedback um, and we essentially went through this and, and we get different themes on, on this podcast and we go, you know, when we kicked it off, we're talking about sort of the basics and fundamentals and stuff, more 101, 101 being if anyone has done university sort of introductory course type stuff. Then we went and looked through asset classes and the dynamics of them, how they work, and then really understanding the the um, the, the COVID experience for Australian Australian economy, and as all, we all know, probably is inherently connected with business in Australia. Um, and then most recently, we got a lot of feedback about, okay, guys, stop stop chatting about the macro environment, stop talking about all these things, which maybe what ifs and how it's going to shape property. I think we've put a line in the sand and, and given good cause and good case for saying. You know, commercial property as an asset class looks good for the future. So let's shift into some of the tactical stuff. All right. Okay. You got a property, you found it. What do you do about it? How do you maximize it? And we started speaking about this. So we're going to get a little bit more into that today. Um, we've had some feedback from uh, our listeners, uh, Scott, and, um, and I've got four points here. And there's been a lot of similar sort of questions. So I'll wrap them all up into sort of a catch all theme. And I'll, and I'll just interrogate you on it. I'll, Curious to see how you view it, but there was one um, one question specifically, and um, from Steve. Uh, Steve's a real estate agent, so uh, it's good to see the the real estate industry uh, listening to this. And yes, we're on your side as well. Uh, we love agents; we think they're a big and important part of uh, uh, the process. And uh, the best agents I know have good relationships with um, with buyers agents. So it's good to see that you've got that connectivity. I think that's a, a case study. But um, Steve uh, says here. Um, and Steve's from a, a pretty good, pretty good outfit as well. I won't mention the name, but um, well-regarded uh, real estate firm. Uh, hi guys, love the podcast. Thanks, Steve. Uh, a topic I would be interested to learn more about would be the pros and cons of buying an existing commercial slash industrial asset versus acquiring vacant land and developing to hold. And so, it was a really good question. That got me thinking, and Scott sort of flagged this with me. And I was out of the industrial centre. I think it could be a hot spot. I'm going to talk to you about it, but I don't want anyone to know about it until I get your view on it. But um, it's in New South Wales in a in a emerging uh, uh, area, sort of connected in with capital cities, two capital well, a capital city and a major regional city. And uh, and I, I was sort of driving around and went to Bunnings, and I, there's one of these um, craft breweries in in this area. You know, they're popping up in all these industrial areas all over the joint. And there was all this building going on, and all there were were concrete pre prefabricated concrete slabs with poles connected with them and uh and my wife at the time said well, we should be building we should be building industrial stuff look look how easy it is look how simple the the construction is and i went yeah i probably you know i've got a, i've already got about four full-time day jobs so <laughs> i'm probably not going to take on something else but you know that got me thinking about as steve says here you know do you go about building stuff or buying it already done uh horses for courses no doubt Pros and cons of either or, would you be doing it? All right. Firstly, I am doing it. I'm not doing industrial. I'm sort of doing it. I'm doing a few developments at the moment, mm. but they're properties I've owned for a long time. So I've got the land value cheap. They're kind of add-ons to existing properties. So the developments I'm personally doing are basically a shopping center extension with extra car spots. Um, you find the tenants or get expression of interest from tenants before you build. Mm. You run the DA kind of concurrently with finding these tenants and um, and a duplex, but I'm doing the duplex because I literally couldn't sell the thing as is, so I'm forced into it just to flick it off because I am going to get out of my resi 
more and more. Um, so the duplex, it's in the Gold Coast. That's you know, that's just a forced development. But to answer Steve's question, you don't want to be building right now if you can avoid it unless you're getting an absolute screamer of a deal and you're not going to get it because land values, particularly for industrial, they've almost doubled in the last three, four years. So your land value is high, but the construction cost since pre-pandemic levels is up 50% that's really good for existing stock because mm. you could imagine if you're now building at 50% higher square meter rates, then the existing stock needs to rent at a higher level to justify you know, a 6% odd yield for the investors. So rents are going up. It's basically putting a constraint on the, on the pipeline of supply, which helps existing stock almost before the stuff is developed. So it's a high risk maneuver. And obviously if you can make your 20% margins plus, plus other, it's worthwhile, but you're really taking a big risk because build costs, they're still going to go up. Like the, I think we're reaching a bit of a, I was reading some reports, we're probably going to reach a bit of a supply. It, the supply is going to get a little bit easier early next year. So you're going to see things like steel costs and concrete costs probably level out a bit more, but the wage increases are going to keep happening. Mm. So that's going to go on for like the medium term really. So build costs are going to be going up quite quickly each year for quite a while. So and we're seeing a lot of developers go broke. Big names, you know, some of the biggest in the industry are, are getting slammed by these fixed price contracts. So would you be buying building in this market? I just can't see the logic unless you're getting way under market value, which is it's, it's still too hot for that to happen. So it's a good point then, and I get that logic, and there's some massive um, commercial companies have gone, gone to the wire. This even down here in Sydney, that new W Hotel is a pro build or whatever, like anyway, yeah. massive, massive organisation. Um, are going bust, but you still see these commercial properties going up, whether they're office or industrial. Um, don't see a lot of shopping centres getting built at the moment, but um, uh, but mainly industrial and 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 uh, and and commercial office space. They're still going up. So are people just blowing their dough on this stuff? No, look, they're being protected by the capital growth. Mm. So they've probably, you know, I, I, I've looked at a few feasibility studies. They might be trying to go in with 10% margins and then they're factoring in future growth. Like it's a high-risk game, especially now we're at the other end of this interest rate cycle. You know, so if you're building when rates were dropping, you know, everything was going to look good because yeah. the, you know, especially like talking about your example, industrial, they probably had 40% growth in two years, you know, in, in New South Wales markets, Southeast Queensland markets, Perth now catching up, huge growth rates. So no matter what you did, if you're building it at a market price two years ago, you've done well. Would you start a build now, now that prices are higher, now that interest rates are rising? You'd have to be pretty strong-headed that you're going to do very well out mm. of it to justify that extra risk because it's a different market. You know, it's a more stable semi-declining market in many areas, but the rent growth is picking up. There's there's a need for this product. Like that's the other thing. Like I spoke about in last the last podcast, the vacancy rates are 0.8% nationwide for industrials. So no matter what you build, it's going to get occupied pretty quick unless mm. it's properly out in the sticks. But um yeah, it's going to be a good end product. But do the numbers work? That's case by case. So how do you play the game then if you think you're talking about the easing of supply strain constraints and, and the big theme now, and, and we're actually recording this on the day of the budget, the, the new government's budget, this sort of interim budget before they hand down what they're doing in May. And everyone's now talking about supply chain resilience, right? Like this is a key thing and, and supply chains around building is 
is not resilient at the moment. It's it's open for rapid shifts in not only the availability of the materials and the provider of the materials, but massive shifts in, in costs, disparate prices, depending on what it is. So it's a very challenging environment to be building in. However, should you be looking for securing greenfield land now on the basis of just holding on for for five years when some of those supply chain challenges are removed and, and also you know to allow Australia to sort of catch up to where it needs to be in terms of um, uh, immigration we need more Irish builders out here right just <laughs> coming out and escaping the uh, the European winters um is that the play right now would you be doing that land banking for commercial oh look I've never been a land banker unless you're getting a positive income on it. So if you've got a lease, like low, like a low, low site coverage type asset, mm. I think that's a good play. But to buy something and getting no money down on it per month, like that's a lot of money you've got to make up in the back end just to cancel out that opportunity cost. So yeah. you need income. I've always been an income investor, like from day one, even when I bought a house in Granny Flat in Sydney, that extra 250 bucks at the back made the decision easy for me. So it's never changed. Cash flow is king because it allows you to scale your portfolio. It protects you against interest rate rises. It means you're not so reliant on capital growth to the point if you don't get it, you don't get return on your money. Cash flow doesn't come from land banking. Unless you're just parking huge sums of cash up because you've got nothing better to do with it, mm. then uh, I wouldn't even go close to considering it. Okay. And is, is it hard to find or rezone Resilander commercial? Like That's a plane itself, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's sort of a... Good question. Like, and to go back to sort of the holding of a property, this is mm. something you can kind of revisit every couple of years with a town planner or to call the councillors. Because, yeah, especially if you're buying a big industrial site and there's houses, you know, 50 meters away, there's potentially rezoning into resi or a higher use, you know, higher density type stuff. So, a good town planner in your local council and, you know, just, just ask that question every few years. What can mm. you push? And, uh, yeah, like um, we've got a couple of guys in in our team at Rethink who are developers, and they they works really interesting things where they kind of ask the council what they want. Um, I'm not a developer, so I'm talking a little bit out of school here, but mm. they will see what requirements the council needs and if they can sort of provide certain things back to the council in in you know maybe for more floor space or a higher ratio of building for that site. So everything's possible depending on what the council is is allowing. So. Commercial is quite an open-ended zoning too, so yeah. that's the beauty of it. Yeah, it sounds like this pretty specialised stuff and fringe stuff is probably not for your typical mum and dad commercial investor who are looking for a bit of a diversification play outside of residential. So if you even in resi, if you start going down a building pathway and development, there's, again, people blowing their dough all over the joint. There's people making good bucks, but uh, you've got to be a lot more engaged and connected to do that well. So um, I would probably urge caution to... Uh, uh, to investors to go down this pathway, even like trying to think about moving and shaking with council to get sort of understand appreciation of what they want to build and being part of that town planning process. That's like decades of experience to even play in that space. So um, buy beware. There's some other questions coming through, Scott, um, which there's two actually around uh, solar panels. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he's got to open up a paper or go to a website these days and someone's trying to knock out solar panels to chuck on your resi. Uh, property um, as a play for, and this is about the holding. I guess there's two things. Um, does having solar panels make a, an investment more attractive? Point number one, uh, if you're buying or selling, and point number two, and if you could speak to both of these, um, installing solar panels on an asset 
pros, cons? Yeah, so we're looking into this heavily at the moment. Um, so if you are interested in solar panels, like reach out. Uh, we probably won't get back to you within a couple of months because what we're doing is we're trying to work out what the most cost-effective solution is across the country for each different state mm. because commercial roofs are generally large and they use a lot of power in work hours, which is when the sun's up. So it's quite efficient. The technology is a lot better than it used to be. There's lots of grants and associated, but you can you can basically there's a couple of options, but you can almost just lease your roof out to solar panel guys, and they might pay you ten grand a year for nothing, and might sign a twenty year lease. So there's these are options to boost. Yield. You can lease your roof these days. Yep, I'm sure someone's created some platform for this now, have they? Yep. So you can yeah. lease, and that's what we're looking at. You lease your roof, and that capitalization rate of that rent mm. goes onto a valuation, and we're seeing clients effectively. Uh, Pull out money for us so, for so a new lease. It's the granny flat of commercial, is it? Where you chuck another, yeah. you, you rent it out instead of renting out your backyard to put a little shed on it. You're renting out your roof. Yeah, and it's I'm actually get like I got approached by KFC, one of my tenants, and saying they want to do it, even though a KFC roof is really awkward and you know got different levels and air cons and mm. vents everywhere. They want it on their roof because it's it looks green. They want to be able to quote their green energy and. In fact, it still saves them money because yeah. it's probably about a 35%, 40% discount off the, the main grid. So it's a win for the tenant. It it looks good. It's good for the environment. And it also um, it can give your landlord basically the ability to kind of benefit from a you know an effective like lease scenario. So that's what we're working through. And um, it's got to be done at the right costs. It doesn't work for all roofs or climates, but um, there's things like maintenance costs. You've got to sort of go out and clean the roof every now and then yeah. the the technology will or the actual solar panel will lose its it'll lose its efficiency over time you know it might degrade one or two percent every year so it gets worse over time and then there might be new technology so it's a really good space for commercial investors yeah. especially when you've got a big roof there's a lot of innovation in solar panel technology as well you can actually like the roof material is a solar panel right in a lot of places rather than sort of putting up these arrays of solar panels it's just it is the material itself. It is the roof is solar, and it's crazy the rapid advance uh, in that sort of stuff, and 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 also the way to retain the power that's generated through batteries and stuff. That's just I can't remember the principle about technology advancing so much every single year, but um, uh, where that is today, even versus two or three years ago, is is mind blowing in terms of yeah. retention of of power. And something that's making it more viable is the fact that the mains grid is getting so expensive. Mm -hmm. Like I literally saw on the news this morning, they're predicting costs to go up 50% in the next year for power. Like that just blows your mind. Like how does it cost that? But Europe's going through an energy crisis. Like US has got similar problems. It's a kind of an issue everywhere. Yeah. So solar panels, especially in a nice dry, well not dry anymore, country, it's almost a no-brainer. Yeah, what, what um, I've looked in the solar panel a little bit um, we do it on smart property investment as well, and uh, my my sort of findings is not all solar panel, not all solar panels are equal, and not all solar panel providers and installers are equal. There seems to be a lot of sharks and cowboys still out there, and um, a bit confusing. It's it's a bit of you know a bit of smoke and mirrors how they sell the benefits of it because the idea is that you you buy the asset and you pump in your own power and anything else that you generate from it, which is in excess, you can sell back to the grid, right? Yeah. But there's an arbitrage and all this sort of stuff, whereas the the person that installs it is getting the benefits of most of it and they're just using you as a solar electricity creator. It's pretty grey, 
and how I've looked into it, and it makes me a bit nervous. I don't know if you share those sentiments. Yeah, and that's why I'm sort of speaking that if you do reach out, we're not going to probably get back to you for a couple of months because mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going to deep dive into this and get rid of these question marks because, um, you know, I see great benefit. Like there's a need to use a big roof space and the power these tenants use, it's it's massive, especially like imagine you've got a cold storage facility. Like yeah. I've seen tenants spend millions a year in rent, uh, not rent rather, electricity. The, uh, electricity. Well, mate, you know, knocking out um, fried chicken, you know, to keep those uh, vats of oil brewing, you know, it's, it's not going to be cheap on the old power bill. No, exactly. You know, may as well use solar energy to it. Uh, it's good to see KFC doing that. I hope you get free chicken every now and then. <laughs> yeah, you, you probably don't eat fried chicken, do you? Oh, I reckon every uh, now and then you probably hook in. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love it, mate. Love it. Yeah, so, okay, watch this space, and um, I look forward to your findings on that, Scott, because I'm nervous around solar. I, I get the technology and I get the rationale for using solar and Australia being Australia is a good spot for it when it's not raining all the time to um, extract uh, the value out of um, solar energy, but it's just a bit murky. It's a murky, murky world, Correct. solar. Yep. Very, very murky. It's almost got that feel like the the pink backs, that scale. Yeah, I, was, I was thinking about that, you yeah. Know, and you don't want to get it in with the wrong crowd at the wrong technology just because it's a great idea. So, yeah, it's, it's just something to tread carefully, but... Um, there's a genuine opportunity there. What if you get the right provider who'll who's got a working model that's been proven on previous deals? So mm. I'm personally going to be fitting out three of my commercial properties with this stuff. I'm going to just see the numbers. Yeah, I don't want to believe in a spreadsheet because a spreadsheet's it's hypothetical. So mm. I, when I see the actual power saving and all that, then I can talk to clients about. What, what it. sort of questions are you asking the actual solar panel? What do they call them? Solar panel provider installer? Because they, you know, there's different technology and then there's different people that put that up on your roof, then there's different schemes for how you commercialize it, right? Yeah. So just trying to match what the current tenant uses to mm. the size of the uh, solar panel. So, because you want to cancel out the tenant's, you know, work time hours uh, property, and then you can offer the, a discounted rent to them, and then you're benefiting from that difference in price. So, But why, why would a, a commercial property investor put solar on the roof to make it more effective for the Tenants. So, you know, is it the depreciation benefits of having that? Is it the your ability to sell the excess solar that you generate? Where, where, where do you see the numbers lying? So, the model I'm seeing that's working very early days is a provider who does solar paneling, and they basically will charge the tenant, and they will lease your roof out. So, it's almost like a Telstra tower. You know, okay. so they might sign a 15 year lease or a 10 year lease, and then you end up with the solar panels as ownership, or maybe there's an option. But you effectively will get a clean five, ten grand, whatever the rent is per annum, that mm. you can then capitalize. You know, let's say the yield six percent, you get six percent of that five grand a year back on your valuation. So that provider then they will sell a plan. Well, they'll sell a supplementary thing for the tenant. Yep, and they uh, they come up with all the upfront. Co- they do all the costs, so there's yep. zero cost for the owner. You just get a new lease, which is super simple, and then they'll deal with the. But who owns the asset? It'll be the third party. Okay. That's one option. Another yeah. op- option is you do it all yourself. You spend the money. Then you've got to work out return on equity. It's it's yeah. probably five years plus maintenance and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's it's a lot more. Well, you've got to put cash into And this is the problem also, the return on, on, on equity, you know, at 5%. Um, sorry, if it takes five years, six years, whatever, to actually realize those cash savings. And the asset has degraded. Uh, not only in terms of efficiency, but you've got the efficiency degradation, but you've also got the inverse of that, which is 
technology improvement. So in five years, there's probably a 10-year gap yep. and that's on, on the asset. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's fool's gold, you know. Yep. I don't know. And that's why I like the idea of um, pushing the, the risk to a third party mm. where they're just – you're getting the lease. It's like, again, a Telstra Tower or yeah. a Vodafone or whatever it is. You don't care what's going on with their coverage. You just want their rent and it's, it's a big company behind it. Yeah. The rent's going to come in. I've got multiple um, towers, little, and they're only little um, 4G, 5G type things around, and it's just like the, it's the best lease because you do nothing, and it's. So you rent your roof space out for Telstra towers as well. Yeah, and I'm yeah. I'm doing another one, and like whenever you have got a shopping center or a freehold property, mm. you can put towers on it if, if there's a need for it, and they're rapidly expanding footprints in this space. It's the side hustle of of a commercial investment. Yeah. And renting out your roof. And there's actually companies like there's this company in the US going around trying to buy the towers off owners. So I've got a client who bought a little shopping center through me. Mm. He's they're getting seven hundred thousand dollars for something that covers two square meters on a roof because they're selling the revenue back. They're selling the lease back to this head company in the US. Yeah. So they're just going to use that seven hundred grand to buy another property because I rather that cash deposit than a silly tower in the roof, you know, on a roof. God. But so I guess then it goes to the the first point of this: How does having solar or a tower on your roof make the asset more attractive at the point of acquisition or the, at the point of liquidation? It's another revenue. Mm. It increases the whale because the leases will be long. I will be making sure valuers that I know will comment on the real value of these, you know, rents, towers, and stuff. So you can actually see the true market rent and how it affects your capital value. And uh, you can take it back to the bank and pull equity out, essentially. Yeah. So, God. It's yeah. all, uh, yeah, side hustles, as so, you say. It's a side hustle of commercial. Well, that's good, mate. Uh, we dug down on that a lot more. Um, uh, there's two other points here. I think we're only going to have enough time for, for one of them, uh, Scott. We'll see how we go. And one of them was around lease renewals, but I actually want to give that a bit of time, energy, uh, and effort. The other question I'm getting here is around um, – around property managers, as in how do you know your property manager is good? How do you find a good property manager? How do you know they're acting in your best interests? How do you know if they're charging you the appropriate fee? How do you know if their uh, audit and compliance is a, is appropriate, that they're catching all the different costs and expenses? How do you know a property manager is good and commercial is pretty much the catch-all question I take from these points. Yeah, it's a good question because it's probably the most common one I get post-settlement. So property managers right now, there's like most industries, there's a shortage of them. So a lot of companies are not taking on management. It's a bit of a problem, you know, in certain parts of the country. So you can imagine they're all stretched. And if you've got like some multi-tenant investment, like a little shopping center, you need a good manager there because if they're just doing it super, you know, casually on the side, they're not going to be, you know, trying to push the rents up. Like this is one of my frustrations with my portfolio or my wife's because she's the one looking at it. We can't really rely on the, the leasing managers to push the rent to market value now. Yeah. So it's like we're, we've got to do all this ourselves. Um, and I help clients do this. Like They don't just accept the market review to be 3% higher because especially now it might be 15 20% higher. A, a stretched property manager is not going to tell you to go 20% higher because they don't want to argue with the tenant. They don't want to have to provide evidence. They don't. What so, an easy life. Yeah. And that's my biggest advice of your property. When that lease comes up, like you just got to reach out to us or, you know, go on RP data and find out what the square yeah. meter rates are at the time. And, and you've got to push hard because that's your asset value. Yeah. And it's, well, the lease on this commercial property you're talking about that we use as an example is, is indexed for 
No, but, but it's 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 got an option on it, right? But you can renegotiate at that point of option to market rent, right? Yeah. But if you're inside of the current lease, you can't do anything about it, right? That's right. You had yeah. a market review at option. So yeah. uh, right now you're getting probably 6 7% annual rate rates mm. of growth, so that's good. But um, I'm on CPI, I think. Yeah, so CPI in Perth like 7% on. Yeah, happy, um, happy days. Like in Perth is uh, it's actually the most expensive building market I saw on the there's an article from the property Council of Australia out saying Perth is the highest in Australia. It ranks 36 out of 88 global cities. So it's 2,822 bucks a square meter to build. Sydney's 2,699. Melbourne, 2,666. So mm. that's really good for rent growth. When you see build costs go up, especially in Perth, it's coming off a low base, you're going to see like rapid rental growth on that. So yeah. CPI may not even cut it. So who polices the CPI though? So you, you can only do it at the annual anniversary, so when you move into the next year is when you can get the CPI infliction. Is it CPI at that point of time? It's, I think it's the average annual CPI for the yeah. 12 months prior. It'll be defined in the lease. Yeah, so it'll specifically say, yeah. if it, is it WA CPI? Is it national CPI? Is it area CPI? Like So it'll define that and mm. actually show you the calculation too. So it'll be the average of the last four quarters, for example. Yeah. But yeah, you need your property manager to push that through, and you could imagine it's a bit of an ugly conversation. You know, it's this is inflation. No yeah. one likes costs going up, but rents are the first to to cop it. So the question then is around sort of maybe gets in a bit looser reviews around the effectiveness of your property manager. Are you better off putting a CPI clause in your in your leases, or are you better off doing a sort of fixed annual percentage? Um, yeah, you yeah. know, you're rolling a dice, right? It's like fixed versus variable interest rates. You're going to win and lose. In 2022, yeah, CPI is gold. But yeah. I remember when I was doing sales in 2017, 18, if there was a CPI clause, like my clients would, you know, they'd almost say no to the property because they're yeah. like, oh, CPI is 1.8% or terrible. I want 3% fix. I want 4% yeah. gold. But now it's just reverse. So again, swings and roundabouts, this all will go different directions. But the best clause is a 3% or CPI the greater of, because mm. then you benefit from both ends. Um, yeah, there you go. So Double down, that's a good tip. Um, uh, but the property manager that I'm using over in Perth was recommended by you guys. And let me see if I can remember their name. They sent me a nice basket of uh, nuts and wine and cheese or something or other. Uh, Perth. I never got one of those. No. Nah. Yeah, Perth, Com- after, Com- yeah. Perth, commercial, yeah. Perth Commercial Property Set. Penelope. Yeah, that's it. Lovely Valentine, but I get that yeah. right. Yeah, there you go. I remembered. Um, yeah, thanks for the gift, by the way, if you're tuning into this. Uh, mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. But um, yeah, some of the good guys, right? Like, you know, they you, you want your property manager operating on your behalf. Yeah. Got to be doing it well. Exactly. You know? and How do you know they're not, though? Like, okay, well, they're, they're not working for you on lease renewals. They're not sending your statements in time. What are the big red flags? Well, that's my one lately, like just finding out that, like they say, oh, do you want to renew the lease? And, and, because I'm so busy, I'm just like, I instantly want to say, yes, just renew it. Yeah. And then I had done it because like I'm literally flat out doing everything else other than just sort of getting into the granular stuff. But yeah, them not suggesting increases is a red flag because all rents are going up generally. It's just like things like if you see maintenance starting to blow out or stuff like that, like all the tenants, um, you, maybe the lease is up and they haven't even notified you about should we discuss and renegotiate this lease? Yeah. You, know, you, you need that. So, yeah, I think just communication and being aware of the dates is key. And uh, if not, 
don't be afraid to talk to other managers because, um, yeah, you need to sort of look after your own properties. Yeah. I, I find that I, even on the resi stuff, you know, when you end up a lot of properties, you just, I must get an email every day, it feels, or a text going, oh, what do you want to do about your rent? And I always push back going, what should it be? Yeah. And they go, oh, I think we should increase it by $15 or $20. And I'll quickly just go. Yeah. Should want, be 100 bucks. I don't yeah. want to deal with this. And I'll quickly yeah. jump on and just go, the cheapest property for rent in said suburb, which is similar to this, is $50 more expensive than what you're quoting, right? And and this is maybe a bit of a um, um, misnomer. Um, there's this idea that rents can only be increased by a small amount uh, incrementally, but depending on the state legislation, right, it's it's commercial, correct? Yep. Like what, what you choose to increase your rent to. I know they're trying to put in resi um, – moratoriums on increasing rents too much, but if the market is the market, you know, how much can you increase your rent on any given cycle? Yeah. Much as you want? Is that the question? It should be just to market, whatever mm. the market is. So, yeah, I don't think you need to, uh, especially when your costs as an owner or, you know, are going up because of, you know, insurance is going up mass- massively. You know, you've got your mortgage that's gone up. So, you know, everything goes in line with it, really. That's that's the economy. Yeah. And you know, I, I am conscious of that that comment that I just made. Um, you know, there's a rental crisis in Australia right now, and residential, and a lot of people are priced out of the market, and they can't find prices. And you know, there's a social impact of this as well. And uh, I mentioned it's budget day, so let's see what the government does in terms of making more social housing available. And you know, they need to have skin in the game with it. But guess what? Property investors pretty much provide that. Uh, I think nine percent of all rental properties government government housing uh, government government influence the rest of it is is independent so um they're going to make a buck on it but you yeah. know I, I do know that some people are struggling with the increased costs of rent so i didn't want to sound flippant about that no. but it's got to be commercial right yeah, yeah. Uh, and in, a, in the commercial sense um it's uh it's not as drastic as that like people aren't on the street if they are can't pay their commercial mortgage like you generally got people that are you know quite big businesses cashed up owner occupiers and all that stuff so you know, a rising interest rate environment is actually good for the leasing market because there's less owner occupiers wanting to take a mortgage, yeah, and more that are happy to sign that five year lease. Well, I guess it's a different question when they they started talking about the lack of invest and lack of rental properties available for you know residential dwellers. You know, have we ever been in a situation where there's been a lack of commercial properties available for Australian business? Well, industrial's that now. It is that now. Yeah. You said what's the vacancy rate? Uh, CBRE is quoting zero point eight percent. Which that's, that's crazy. So I mean, it's pretty much any anyone who wants to lease out a property can lease it out. Yeah, it should be four times that amount, basically. That's a that's a healthy market. So this is a crisis then for Australia, which yeah. no one's really raised the flag up, right? You know, if there's no. not enough industrial, and probably a lot of it's to do with how we work now and how things have changed as a result of COVID and need for industrial assets and all this sort of stuff, online shopping, blah blah blah. Well, we're seeing new builds. That's in- going to constrain economic growth for Australia. It is, yeah. It's the cost of leasing a property is is drastically higher. Like I'll use a, a small example because I know it well. The Brisbane industrial market, older sheds used to be a hundred bucks a square meter. Now they're probably one forty, one fifty, and they're going up quick. So it's mm-hmm. not going to stop there. New build smaller strata units. They pre COVID they were probably one fifty, one seventy would have been an over market rent per square meter per year. Now they're pushing two hundred and thirty to forty. Some are trying to quote even higher just to make the returns worthwhile for the developer, you know, yeah. if they're doing rental guarantees. So it's going up quick, much quicker than everything else. Why, why, why aren't we hearing the headlines around this crisis in 
Yeah, not- it's going to be a handbrake on Australian economy. If businesses, number one, can't function because they can't find the space, but number two, businesses are being squeezed by increased rent, so the cost to operate because of supply chain shortages. It's it's a big issue. It's just so niche. Like in like how many people actually care about industrial rents unless you own a business? Um like because then you care, but it's a very small part of the population. So it's yeah. not mainstream news this. But I'd counter that by the fact of saying I think seventy three or seventy four percent of all Australians are employed by a small business. Yeah. So if they're getting squeezed and that means they either can't resource more effectively or they can't provide pay rises to support workers to keep up with inflation or, worst case, they've got to start canning staff. That's probably not a good thing for the economy. No, you're 100% right. And you know, I'm sure the people in the halls of Canberra tuning in this going, oh, I haven't thought about this beforehand. <laughs> I know. Oh, they've, they've got it like construction costs getting under wraps. They've, you know, There's got to be more supply of all of this. And, and they've got to not always focus on high-rise office space because that's mm. the headline commercial always yeah. gets tagged with. We know that market's not the strongest. But everyone's going, yeah, there's so much space. What's the problem? Yeah. You know, Build costs Build and zoning. Costs. And it's it's just there's still a lack of it in good areas. Yeah, I, I sort of I – the, um, uh, the New South Wales Premier, I think he's taken a pretty pragmatic view towards streamlining development approvals, different development application approval. It's just tied up in so much unnecessary red tape, just bureaucrats sitting there in their safe jobs just mm. pushing paper around and – needing 50 stamps to get something pushed through. It is completely, completely needs to rethink how um, uh, that happens because the impact is what we're talking about at the bottom line. Yeah, Aussies aren't getting pay rises because the businesses need to rent and the rent's going up and there's not enough around it. So, you know, and anyway, what this is why we talk about macro and microeconomic factors because it's all interconnected, right? Exactly. You know, and what about when, what is it, 700,000 new people in Australia in the next mm. two years? Or- so they say. So they say, so that's going to fill up a lot of property and we're not, you know, we've got to look at the numbers, but I think there's less available on the market than there was two years ago as well. And there's more people. Yeah. So buy commercial property then, the right assets. Just make sure you factor in extra rate rises and, you know, like that's the key, you know, it's, it's all about just holding on for the long term and you're going to do well, you know, don't worry about what's going to happen this month. So how can my property manager then? Help me. We're talking about property managers here. How can they help me increase my net position based on this current environment? So I'm getting squeezed on interest rates, and that's it's a haircut. It's not a trim. It's a bit more than that. Uh, you must be feeling across your portfolio. You know, I don't know what what your uh, net earnings are down as a result of these interest rate spikes. I'm sure you've got some smart ways to <laughs> to, to buttress that. But you know, what can you do about it? Not a lot. Oh, look, for you, I'd just message your rental manager and say, point blank in an email, when's the next opportunity to increase rents? Just have it and then put it in the diary. Like yeah. say, she'll she'll review the lease for you. That's their job. Find out that date. And then once that date's getting close, either yeah. like call me up and we'll literally go and work out how much rent we can push it up to meet the market. <clears throat> so I can't remember whether it was a new lease signed as a result of this or something, but it, it doesn't reset the point of purchase, right? You inherit the rent and Correct. where it is in the cycle. Yep. by memory, so I can't. I so can't. it might be a few years for you, you yeah. know, so there's no great rush and, you know, you've got the CPI increases, so the story's going to get good for you the longer you hold, yep. better and better. You know, if rates start coming down at end of next year and you've already had 20% rent growth, like it's... Well, that's the that's the where you get a gap in your your, your, your charts, right, when CPI continues, um, but 
I guess they're probably sort of working lockstep a little bit, but mm. CPI uh, continues at, at pace, but your um, interest rates start sort of uh, stabilising a little bit. It's, yeah, horses for courses again. <laughs> All right, I'm going to do that. Um, Scott, mate, pretty informative stuff. Um, we'll get into sort of the mechanics of lease renewals next time we get together. There's some other key points we sort of want to crack at as well, isn't there? Yeah, probably just go a little bit more into the insurance side of things. That's mm. something anyone that owns a property will be dealing with an increase in premium. So, And it's important to have the correct insurance because like we're literally buying 10 out of 10 of our properties that are underinsured right now because they're, they're insured at an old build cost. So, oh, you're talking about the, so the place landlords. burns down. Yep. Yeah. And what that means is either when you do the due diligence, your rents are going to be, uh, sorry, your net returns going to drop yeah. or the tenants going to have to cop a higher bill. So you've got to manage that. And because you remember you passed your insurance onto your tenants. So mm. if the bill goes from five grand to nine grand, the tenant's not going to be happy. So you've got to show them you've, you know, shopped around. You've It's basically the new building costs on the replacement yeah. values pushed Does the your property manager normally sort your insurance out? Uh, I think it's better to hold yourself because yeah. you want to, especially someone like yourself, you've got a heap of properties, have a centrally located insurance broker who does it all for you mm. and especially specialist stuff. Yeah. I look forward to it. Yep. An insurance masterclass coming up next on uh, Inside Commercial Property Rethink Investing. Scott, good to see you back in the country. Thanks, mate. Are you enjoying it? You've sort of lost your, your glow, your suntan and- oh, it's- the Irish yeah, skin, mate. The, the Irish skin the wife's comes back in. Got the uh, the olive skin. She'll be brown forever. But yeah. um, no, it's good to be back. Little jet lag still. Got back only just over a week ago. And okay. Yeah, time flies over there. You just blink and four months pass. And is that four months? Yeah, just under. So God, you just you escape when interest rates started going up. Was your thing? Yeah, Maybe. I don't know something in that. But uh, it's funny when you're overseas, you realise. Everything that goes on in Australia, it almost doesn't exist. You never hear anything. No. So it's, you know, we are just affected by the global economy. We're just a little small fry that our problems aren't as great as other countries. So mm. we're a lucky place. It's a lucky place and uh, have an attitude of gratitude. It's a good place to be and we're all very fortunate just uh, just winning the lottery, getting born in Australia. So um, and, and for those who have chosen to call Australia home, it's... Uh, it's great that uh, your contribution, participation to growing Australia. You might not find somewhere to live, or uh, if you're trying to build a business or rent a joint, but uh, stick at it. How can people find you, mate? What's the best way? Uh, just info at rethinkinvesting.com.au, yep. or just Google Rethink Investing, and yeah, reach out, and yeah, we can discuss your personal situation and let you know if it's worthwhile for you. Sounds good. Um, thanks for your time, Scott. Go and check it out. Uh, rethinkinvesting.com.au. We'll see you again next time. Until then, bye bye.